Winston Churchill is widely considered to be one of the greatest figures in world history, certainly one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century. He's probably most well known for his stand against the amazingly powerful Nazi regime uh, in the mid-1900s during World War II, led by Adolf Hitler. Churchill uh, is one of the few people in history that it could probably be argued that he actually had a hand in saving the world. Churchill stood against the Nazi regime when he didn't have resources, he didn't have the manpower, and he certainly didn't have the partnerships he needed as Europe continued to fall country by country uh, to the Germans. Churchill, through his indomitable spirit, his innovative strategies, and his communication gift that is considered one of the greatest in history, kept England in the fight even as all the odds were against them as he awaited what he called the sleeping giant, the United States, to finally enter the war at his side. Churchill continued to fight using his voice, using his mind, using his God-given abilities. But Churchill was a human, and like any of us, he could have succumbed to the amazing stress he was under. Can you imagine having literally the weight of the world, the weight of his country on his shoulders? So how did Churchill make it through such a stressful time? How did he make it through a time when focus was required? Well, I'll tell you how. Churchill didn't simply focus on the Nazis or the war at hand. He had something else he focused on that helped him think, that helped him do great things. How did Churchill get through one of the most stressful times of his life? Churchill learned to paint. Oh, so are you Winston Churchill is most famous for his incredible valor and leadership uh, during World War II, but that's not where his story began. Uh, you have to go all the way back to World War I, actually, to see where many of the ingredients of his incredible leadership began, and also where he learned to paint. Winston Churchill was a part of the English government during World War I, and he got to really, really high levels as a very young man. But because of his personality, because of his, uh, uh, his will to fight and his will to say whatever he thought he needed to say, he ended up getting himself kicked out of the English government and sent back home, if you will. And although he was wealthy and a writer at that point, uh, he missed the power. He missed being in the action. He was basically exiled to his home in the countryside. 
And when he got there, of course, this would have been one of the darkest moments of his life. In fact, many called the next decade of his life his wilderness years. Uh, but that wilderness turned out to be a gift to him because of his newfound hobby of painting. Now, how did he find this thing uh, that we know is artistic expression and painting? How did a leader like him, a politician, a war person, a man who had fought in the military, how did he end up with a brush in his hand? Well, when he got back to his home in the countryside, his sister-in-law was painting. She had really gotten into uh, this artistic expression. And when he saw her painting, he thought, I want to try that. And in classic Churchillian uh, ways, he went and got one of the best art teachers around to teach him how to paint. He went and bought all the stuff, and he began to learn to paint. And in fact, he got so good at it and poured himself into it so much that in uh, the 1920s, he entered into an anonymous amateur painting competition uh, that was a national competition, and he won it. He won it with a piece that he entitled Winter Sunshine. Winston Churchill became an accomplished painter on top of everything else. And he wrote a book about his painting once, and, and he said this. He said, painting rescued me during one of my most desperate times. Winston Churchill saw the ability to focus on something else besides all of the huge things he was involved in to be a aid to him doing a good job in those very important areas. He simply could not focus all the time on fighting the Nazis or fighting the government. He had to have an outlet, and that became painting. And one thing he said about painting that was interesting, Churchill said, when you paint, you cannot focus on anything else. You can only focus on the painting. I think today what we're going to find out from the Scriptures is that life is a lot like that. In fact, our life with Christ is a lot like that. Because what we're going to find today is that many of us have been told our whole lives that we need to focus on overcoming sin, and we need to focus on overcoming the things in our lives. But what if our focus has been misplaced? I think what we're going to find today, much like Churchill found as he fought what seemed to be the great evil of the world, he's found that he needed to focus on something else to help him win those battles. I'm here to tell you today that you and I are going to have to learn in our Christian life that we don't need to just focus on our sin and over overcoming the odds against us. We need to focus on something else, something more powerful, something more dependable. We're going to learn today that we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for in His So today as we talk about this amazing hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, as we look at the incredible leadership of Winston Churchill during World War II and how painting and learning to focus helped him become such a successful leader, we're going to take a look at the scriptures now. If you will, just pull out your device or your Bible and go to the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. Uh, most believe that Paul uh, most probably wrote this incredible book. We're going to go to chapter 12. We're going to look at two verses today, verses 1 and 2. We're going to learn so much about how to overcome sin in our lives 
but it may surprise you how the Bible teaches us to do just that. Let's take a look at what the Scriptures say. Verse 1, chapter 12, Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now those are powerful, amazing verses. But let's begin by looking at verse 1. I bet you've heard it before. It tells us, uh, first of all, mysteriously and, and pretty amazingly, that there's a great cloud of witnesses around us. Now what is that talking about? Well, I grew up with people saying, hey, all of heaven is cheering you on. All of heaven is behind you. And that is a beautiful picture. And I really don't want to pop that bubble because I do think it's an amazing picture. But let me tell you what the Bible is really telling you here. The cloud of witnesses in heaven are not there to cheer us on. They are there to inspire us by their examples. What the Bible is saying here is that there are all of the believers that have gone before us, some of them, especially during the time period that Hebrews was written, were killed and executed in horrific ways, and yet God was faithful to them. And yet today, 2,000 years later, here we are, church online all over the world, in the middle of a global pandemic, the church is still alive and well. And what the Scriptures are teaching us is that there's a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that stand forever as testimonies to the faithfulness of our great God. And because of that cloud of witnesses, because a witness is someone who testifies to something they believe to be true. So what does the great cloud of witnesses testify to? The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God in circumstances. The faithfulness of God no matter what you're going through. The faithfulness of God that is faithful even when we are not. That's what that great cloud of witnesses is all about. And then the Bible says, uh, because of this great cloud of witnesses that we have, we should lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay aside every weight. Kind of reminds me of the movie Forrest Gump. Do you remember when uh, they began to yell, run, Forrest, run, and he had these braces on his legs, right? And he begins to run, and all of a sudden the braces fly off in all directions, and suddenly Forrest Gump is running down a balabattery road as fast as a little kid could. It's pretty amazing, right? That's the picture you get here, our sin and our entanglements flying all over the place. But I think all of us have this moment when we hear that verse and we think, I've heard that before. If you grew up like maybe many of us did in church and in religion, you were told, get rid of your sin. You were told, overcome. You were told, stop doing this. Stop doing that. It was a big list of no's and don'ts and get better and try harder. And what I want you to understand today is that is a misunderstanding of the gospel. The gospel is good news, but I'm sorry, just trying harder is something I know I can never do is not good news. In fact, honestly, if many of you were to tell the truth, you would say that this type of teaching is why you left the church a long time ago, why you became disillusioned with the Christian life all the way around, because you kept sitting in pews and chairs on Sundays being told to jump higher, dance faster, run harder, try harder, and you tried. And Monday maybe looked great, but Tuesday the slide began to start, and by Wednesday the inevitable happened, and you were back to square one. And, and here's the reason why, because so many times we take a passage like the one we're looking at today and we just look at verse 1. Because verse 1 does indeed say, lay aside your sin. 
Verse 1 does indeed say we need to lay aside the weights that entangle us. But the problem is you can't do that on your own. The problem is trying harder is never going to get you across that finish line. I'm sure Winston Churchill felt the same way. As the Nazis gained more and more power, as his little island nation of England, though historically powerful, had become extremely vulnerable, as France fell, as uh, the, the exterior countries of Russia began to fall, as the military might of Germany began to grow, as Adolf Hitler's anger and ferocity and insanity continued to be put on full display before the world. Winston Churchill, while outwardly showing signs of courage and that indomitable spirit that we mentioned earlier at night, you can only imagine him trying to go to sleep, understanding that his country was on the brink of losing everything. As German warplanes flew over London itself, as daily thousands of citizens, women, children, normal people losing their lives, as landmarks that had been there for the entire history of England were crumbled to the ground, Winston Churchill had to know, this is a battle I can't win. This is a battle that I'm not sure we're going to be able to have victory in. And in the middle of that, he began to go back over and over again to a hobby that he had learned 20 years earlier. He kept painting. And as he focused on something else, it helped him see the possibilities, the strategies that would eventually lead to victory. And what I want you to understand today is that the Bible tells us there is a way for us to overcome sin in our lives. And it's not just to try harder. And it's not for you to just jump a little higher. It's for you to focus on something else. Let's look at it again. It tells us after the, the admonition to lay aside the sin and lay aside the weights that ensnare us, it says, look unto Jesus. Verse 2. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's all about focus. It's all about what you focus on. Now, I could talk to you more and more about how painting and how Winston Churchill learned to do that helped him focus in a way that he couldn't have any other way. But I think that the only person that can really help you understand this whole concept is a true artist. Let's hear from one right now. So I first started painting when I was little. I actually couldn't speak. I had speech impediments, and really my big sister was the only one who could understand the, the things that I said. And so I felt like I couldn't express myself and I think I just automatically was drawn to drawing everything I own from baby dolls to books to the house walls were drawn on and it just really helped me process what I was feeling and thinking and I didn't even know it was something that was a gift or a talent. Um, I just knew it helped me communicate with others better. Creating is a way for me to, to focus, to process, and to think about what it is I'm supposed to do in this situation. I believe God gave me the desire to create because He knew it would be my time with Him. So we're learning today that the secret to the Christian life, the secret to overcoming sin, which is all of our greatest battle, the secret is to focus. And not to focus on yourself, 
and not to focus on your sin, but to focus on Jesus, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Years ago, I went deep sea fishing with some friends of mine uh, off the Florida coast. And when we got out there, I was not prepared uh, for the rough seas that we ended up in. And it didn't take me long before I began to get seasick. And one of the guys on the boat said, hey, to help you settle down, to keep you uh, from becoming sick, look at the horizon, find a fixed place that's not moving and keep your eyes on it and it'll make you feel better. It'll make your body settle down. That's exactly what happened. Uh, it, it settled me down to focus on something outside of myself. The Christian life too often has been turned into a moralistic race where we try to get better and better. And even if we're not doing what we think we should do, at least we can compare ourselves to someone else who's not doing as well as we are. It becomes a place where you become disenchanted with the Christian life altogether because you feel like you just can't do it. And today what I would love is for many of you watching who have been there, you got burned out on moralistic teaching. You got burned out on failing again and again and again. You've been told, put down the porn. You've been told, stop lying. You've been told, be a better spouse. You've been told, stop getting angry all the time. And you feel like, I just can't. I keep falling. I keep messing up. I tried and I tried and I tried and I couldn't get across the finish line. Well, today I've got good news. The gospel is good news because Hebrews chapter 1 is not just verse 1. It's verse 2 as well. And the two are connected. The way you overcome your sin, the way you overcome the things that entangle you, and we all get entangled, is to focus on Jesus. Now listen to what the verse 2 tells us. It says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. What if I were to tell you this race isn't one that you were ever meant to finish on your own? You're not the one holding the trophy at the end of this thing, guys. This is Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our story. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, according to verse 2, is the one who finishes our faith. He's the author of it. You wouldn't be a believer without Him drawing you. You couldn't know God without Him giving His life for you. He did all of that. But He also ran the race for you. 33 perfect years. See, Jesus did keep from being entangled in sin. Jesus did what all of us were supposed to do. In dying on the cross, He became our substitution. And the gospel is not, you get better, you try harder. That is religion. The gospel is, fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus Christ is faithful when we are not. Jesus Christ is the only one who ran this race perfectly. The two first humans who were perfect for a little while, they couldn't finish the race either, Adam and Eve. So Jesus is called in the New Testament the second Adam, and He comes and He gets in the race and He runs it perfectly, dying for us and giving us credit for His perfect life. And that's why Hebrews says, yes, get rid of your sin. Yes, get rid of all that entangles you. And here's how. Not trying harder. Not jumping higher. But focusing more and more and more on Jesus Christ. Folks, this will set you free. This will make you want to get up tomorrow morning because now there's hope. There's hope. And here's the secret to all of this. Winston Churchill taught us that had he simply focused on the Nazis every day and winning what seemed to be an unwinnable war, he would have been destroyed. He couldn't have held the weight on his shoulders much longer. So he had to focus on something else. And doing so enabled him to see the possibilities. Doing so enabled him to see potential victory where it looked like it was impossible. It helped him hold out until the United States came into the war and then they overwhelmed the Germany Nazis. It 
was an incredible victory, a victory that would not have happened had Churchill simply stayed focused on the battle at hand. You and I are the same way. If you continue to just fight your sin and try to get better, you're going to keep losing the battle. But when believers begin to actually believe the gospel, when the gospel becomes the thing written across your life, you can begin to have victory where you didn't think it was possible. The secret is not to try harder to overcome your sin. The secret is to love Jesus more and focus on Jesus more. And as you focus on Jesus, as the great song says, the things of this earth begin to dim and fade slowly away. That includes this battle with sin that all of us think at times we're never going to win. Well, you can't win it. Not alone. But with the author and the finisher of your faith, there is no battle against sin that you can't overcome. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. I wish I could have been there today. Winston Churchill painted his first piece on a canvas. The story goes that Churchill had gone out in classic fashion. He threw himself 100% into whatever he did, whether it was fighting a war or his time in Parliament or writing a book. He was a prodigious author. But when it came to painting, no different. He got the best stuff, the best brushes, the best canvas, went out and got a teacher. And here he is standing in front of his first blank canvas. And Churchill wrote later that it was one of the most intimidating things in the world. Here's a man who had stood in front of Parliament, This is a man who had stood in the face of Nazi Germany. This is a man who had faced odds you you and I can only imagine. And yet, one of the most intimidating things in his life was a blank canvas. He didn't know where to start. He was going to paint a countryside, so he thought, I'm going to start with the sky. And the story goes that Churchill picked the smallest brush that he had, and he dips a little blue paint in it, and he stands there at the canvas And he doesn't know what to do, so he puts one little circle on the canvas, a little blue circle there, his hands trembling, his mind racing, something about that blank canvas. And it was because there was an apprehension that maybe Churchill was going to mess it up. Maybe he wasn't good enough. There was something in Churchill that said, every stroke has to be perfect. I can't blow this. I I can't mess it up. I I don't get to, to, to color outside the lines. Something in Churchill made him afraid. And it was at this time, as he was staring at that blue dot that he so desperately wanted to turn into a sky, but was scared to, that an art teacher in the area's wife walked up, who also was a painter, saw him sitting there, and she said, Oh, you're painting? He said, Yes. And she said, Well, what are you doing? Paint. And she reaches down and grabs the biggest brush Churchill had, puts it in the blue paint, 
goes over his shoulder and begins to just slap paint all over the canvas. And suddenly where there was white canvas with one little blue dot, now there's slashes of blue everywhere and a sky began to take form. And Churchill said that after that moment, he was never intimidated by a blank canvas. And here's my hope today, my hope that the gospel, a deeper understanding of, a, of the gospel, because many of us have a half understanding where you thought it was about you trying harder. And I want you to know today it's about you trusting Jesus more and fixing your eyes on Him. And all of us have this blank canvas in front of us, a canvas called life, a canvas where we marry and we have children and we walk with Jesus and we go into this adventure of the mission of God. And yet so many of us stand because of religion and the conditioning of moralism. We stand with the smallest brush we can find in our hands and all we can muster up is the ability to put a dot on the canvas because we're afraid we're going to mess up and the gospel sets us free from that because of course we mess up. You're going to mess up tomorrow. You're going to miss the stroke the next day. And all along the Bible is saying to us, keep painting, keep walking. Look back at Hebrews. It says, run your race. That's the point. Don't just stand there at the starting gate. Don't stand there quivering with your hand with the smallest brush in the box. The Bible says run. The Bible would say paint the canvas. Why? Because Jesus, after all, is the one who is the author and finisher anyway. You were never meant to complete the picture on your own. You were never meant to finish the race on your own. Jesus is with you. So run, live, laugh, have joy, worship, Take this adventure. Love people. Love God. Give all you have. Put paint on the canvas. Find the biggest one you can get in your hand and go for it. Why? Because our victory is assured when our faith is in Jesus and our eyes are fixed upon Him. Trust Him today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus today and put some paint on the canvas of your life and stop being afraid that you're going to mess it up because my friends, we've all already messed up the canvas and Jesus Christ by His own blood has washed the canvas clean, put the brush back in our hands and He says to us from the pages of Scripture, run, paint the canvas. This is life in the gospel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look for in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory